0: So we are in our series, Elementary, Growing in Our Understanding. This, uh, this series comes from Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, where the author of Hebrews lays out what he believes are the six fundamental truths. He talks about repenting of evil deeds, uh, faith in, putting our faith in God, baptism, which we talked about last time. This morning we're talking about laying on of hands, which is I thought was interesting to be a fundamental truth. Uh, next week will be the resurrection of the dead, and we will wrap up with eternal judgment. So we're we're finishing strong. Yay. Um, but before we dive into the message, I am going to invite, we only have two grads here tonight, to this morning, but that's okay. We're going to invite our two grads to come on up. I'm going to get the pastor's council to come join me at the stage. Come on up, Nick. You can, you, you can't hide all morning. I know where you are. Uh, Pastors' Council, Clay, you can come on up. Brock was here. So I'm going to get our grads, you guys stand right here. Come, don't be shy. Come here, right in front of me, right beside, and pretend you like each other. Stand right beside each other. Uh, I get the Pastors' Council to stand behind them, lay their hands on our grads. And then I'm going to invite everyone else to stand, if you would like. Please come join us and lay hands on our grads. If not, I invite you to extend your hands. Everyone in Redverse and online, you can extend your hands towards the screen. Um, don't be shy. Okay, we're good. Okay. Okay, extend your hands. We are going to uh, pray a blessing on our grads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this this moment, God, as our grads have completed their primary training, God, their education, and now starts the next step, as we so often attribute this next step as coming into adulthood and discovering who they are and what you've called them to. And so, God, we send them with your blessing, we send them with your power and your spirit to uh, that you would guide them into that discovery. Are we send them to, into their calling and into their wherever you have them go and wherever you have them serve and embrace who they are and to use their gifts and their talents and their passions to find fulfillment, to find meaning, and uh, God, to find you ultimately. As we draw near to you and learn who you are, we learn who we are in you. And so, God, I pray that as they draw near to you, they would discover themselves and they would discover uh, their faith and discover, God, just, and not to rush the discovery, Lord, as they have their whole lives ahead of them. I pray, God, that they would just take this lifelong journey, this adventure that you've put them on and that they would step into the roles that you open up for them. They would step into the opportunities, and God, that you would lead them uh, through every open door. Um, God, we're so proud of our grads and the thing that they've accomplished and the accomplishments that they are going to have moving forward. Um, Just pray a rich blessing on our grads this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Before the grads take off running, we, as is customary, we have Bibles for you. So Nick, there you go. Kara, there you go. Blessings on you guys. Uh we get oh yeah, it's open on the side. Sorry. Um we give you these Bibles and we hope that they will, as we are an equipping church, we hope they equip you and help you on your journey. And yeah, blessings on you guys. I would have done it at the end, but Kara has to run, and so uh, we didn't want to miss out. Uh, we have two other grads that we we're going to give Bibles to, Aza Weir and Samantha Wolf. Uh, Sammy was not feeling well, is not able to join us this morning. And Aza is starting her first day of work, which just feels wrong, that your first day of work is on a Sunday. Like, But, you know, it's the day that we live in, I uh, can't avoid it, so... Uh, But we will get those grads. You can be praying for our grads as summer is always that transition time of filling out applications and doing all that good stuff um, to step into where they're going. But the question is, is why why do we do what we just did? Why did we bring up the grads and have the spiritual leaders and all of us either physically or symbolically lay our hands on, on our grads? Hey, buddy. I know, it's been one of those mornings, I get it. Why do we do this? And why does the author of Hebrews consider this to be a fundamental truth? This is something that we've just, if you've grown up in church for a while, especially a Pentecostal church, this is just something we do, like every time we have an opportunity to pray, someone's having hands put on them, but but Why? And I would suggest, much like baptism, a couple of weeks ago I suggested that baptism has kind of lost some of its significance over time. That we don't treat it with the same fervor and um, urgencies that the biblical writers would have treated it with. I think we've almost done the same thing, the laying on of hands, but almost the opposite. We are almost too quick to lay hands on people. We're almost too quick, like every opportunity And again, I think we've lost some of the significance of what is actually happening in this moment. And so this morning we're going to walk through some scripture. I'm going to unpack where this idea comes from, why we continue to do it. Um, And I'm going to address one of the things that Paul tells Timothy is don't be quick to lay hands on people. Don't rush into doing this. Take your time. So why? Why would Paul tell Timothy this? Um, So we're going to go all the way back into Exodus. We're going to start in a really weird place, but uh, bear with me. You'll see why we started where we started. Uh, We are in Exodus 29, if you want to follow along in your paper Bible. Uh, Everyone online, there is no scripture on the screen, but if you get our app, uh, you can go to our website and get the app. Uh, It's got all the scriptures, all the notes, everything you need to follow along. Um, We apologize for our technical difficulties this morning. Okay, Exodus 29, starting at verse 10. Uh, We're talking about um, sacrifice, And, and in particular, Aaron and his sons. So Aaron is the brother of Moses. Aaron is the first high priest of Israel, and this is his ordination service. So Exodus 29, this is how the Aaron and his sons are to be ordained. Here's the process. Uh, Bring the young bull to the entrance of the tabernacle where Aaron and his sons will lay their hands on its head. Okay, so this is why we're starting here. Then slaughter the bull in the Lord's presence at the entrance of the tabernacle. Uh, Okay. Put some of its blood on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour out the rest at the base of the altar. Take all the fat and the eternal organs, the long lobe of the liver, the two kidneys, and the fat around them, and burn it all on the altar. Then take the rest of the bull, including the hide, meat, and dung, and burn it outside the camp as a sin offering. Next, Aaron and his sons will lay their hands on the head of one of the rams. So they brought a bull and two rams to Aaron and his sons. So this is the first ram. They lay their hands on it, then slaughter the ram, splatter its blood on the sides of the altar, Cut the ram into pieces, wash off the internal organs and the legs, set them alongside the head and the other pieces of the body, then burn the entire animal on the altar. This is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a special gift presented to the Lord. Now take the other ram. Have Aaron and his sons lay their hands on its head. Three times we have heard this, lay their hands on its head. Then slaughter it, apply some of the blood to the right earlobes of Aaron and his sons, also put it on the thumbs of the right hand, right, and big toe of the right feet, splatter the rest on the sides of the altar, then take some of the blood from the altar and some of the anointing oil, sprinkle it on Aaron and his sons and their garments in this way, they and their garments will be set apart as holy, Since this is the ram of the ordination for Aaron and his sons, take the fat of the ram, including the fat of the broad tail, the fat of the internal organs, the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys and fat around them, and along with the right thigh, take one loaf of bread, a thin cake mixed with olive oil, one wafer from the basket of bread without yeast that was placed on the Lord's presence. Put all these in the hands of Aaron and his sons to be lifted up as special uh, offering to the Lord. So, the reason we read all of that is for that other instance right here. His hands are involved again. But this time, instead of laying their hands on something, something is being laid in their hands. And I'll explain why that is significant in a moment. After take the various breads from their hands and burn them on the altar along with the burnt offering, this is a pleasing aroma to the Lord, a special gift for Him. So what is happening here? Well, we read that the bull is the sin offering, and what Aaron and his sons are doing is they are starting off by laying their hands on the head of the bull, and they're transferring the guilt of their sin onto the bull, and by doing this, when they slaughter the bull, the bull takes the place of their sin, because we read in Genesis that sin, the punishment of sin is death, and so as long as there's sin in our life, we've invited sin, we've invited death into our life, and what God has, has called the priests to do is lay their hands on this bull and the bull is now going to take their place. And they're going to slaughter it. They're going to burn it up. So some of it's going to be burned outside the camp. But this is their sin offering. And then they bring the ram. They do it again. But at this time, they're not doing their sin. They're actually putting the guilt of the nation on the ram. And so they lay their hands and they transfer the guilt of their sin onto the ram. The ram is then slaughtered burnt up, and now the priests have had their sins forgiven, the nation of Israel has their sins forgiven, and the second ram, they do it again. And this is an expression of preparing their hearts that their worship would be acceptable before the Lord. So three times they lay their hands for the purpose of transferring guilt. And I want you to hold on to that word, transferring, um, because this is what is happening. They, They are moving over. They are Allowing the bull, they're allowing the ram to take the place, they lay their hands, you're now the guilty one, I am now washed by your blood, you're gone, which should draw us a lot of allusions to Jesus, who is called the pure spotless lamb, who takes away the sins of the world. This this whole analogy, this imagery, because what happened in the Old Testament is that they had to keep slaughtering animals, where Jesus is a one and done. We don't have to keep killing Jesus. Jesus did it once for all, for all eternity, and we praise him for that. That is why we are gathered here this morning. But that is... What is happening? It is this idea of laying hands and transferring guilt. And this is the only time in Israel's history at this point that there is this laying on of hands and transferring. It's all guilt. It's all sin. It's all bad things happening. And then we get to Numbers. Numbers 8, verses 10 to 11. When you present the Levites before the Lord, the people of Israel must lay their hands on them. The next part is not slaughter them. That would be bad. Raising his hands, Aaron must present the Levites to the Lord as a special offering from the people of Israel, thus dedicating them to the Lord's service. So once again, there is this special offering language. It was used when they had the pieces of the ram put in their hands, and once again, Aaron is now elevating the Levites. And what is happening in this moment is the Levites are being set aside to serve as priests of the nation. As the As the nation of Israel is going to move into the promised land, all the tribes get certain plots of land, and that is their inheritance, but the Levites don't get any. Why? Because the Levites' inheritance is the Lord, and he's going to serve their whole tribe for all time, will serve as priests for the nation of Israel. Their inheritance is God himself. And what is happening is the nation lays their hands on them, and Aaron then takes it and lifts them up. They're elevated to a new standing. They're elevated to a new position in the nation of Israel. The same way that when they took the pieces, Aaron would take the pieces of the ram and lift them up to the Lord. They were a special offering. They're an elevated offering set apart for a special purpose. And so what's happening here is the Levites are doing the same thing. They're being lifted up. They're being elevated to a new position within Israel. Fast forward to the end of Numbers, we read this: Then Moses said to the Lord, "O Lord, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man as leader for the community. Give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle, so the community of the Lord will not be like a sheep, will not be like sheep without a shepherd." And the Lord replied, "Take Joshua, son of Nun, who has a spirit in him." And lay your hands on him. Okay, here we go. Present him to Eliezer the priest before the whole community and publicly commission him to lead the people. Transfer some of your authority to him so the whole community of Israel will obey him. When the direction of the Lord is needed, Joshua will stand before Eliezer the priest who will use the Urim One of the secret lots cast before the Lord to determine his will. This is how Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything they should do. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. He presented Joshua to Eliezer, the priest, and the whole community. Moses laid his hands on him and commissioned him to lead the people just as the Lord had commanded through Moses. So once again, we have this. This is now both things happening. Moses is laying his hands on Joshua for the purpose of transferring authority, not guilt, not sin, no bad things. He is transferring some of his own authority because Moses still has work to do. He can't transfer all of it. And in that moment of laying hands, Joshua is now elevated, not to the state of Moses. As you read through scripture, Moses will always be referred to as the servant of the Lord, where Joshua is only ever referred to as a servant of Moses. But Joshua is elevated He now has the authority of Moses. He now has the position to lead. And he is now commissioned before all of Israel to take that place because Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. Moses had disobeyed. He'd rebelled against God. And his punishment was that he was going to climb a mountain and see the promised land, but we'd never enter it. And so we get to this point where Moses is like, ah, but if I don't go, the people are going to go crazy. And God says, I have a solution. It's your right-hand man, it's Joshua, and you are going to commission him, you are going to transfer your authority, and you're going to elevate him to lead the people. And this is really the last time we see anything of this sort throughout um, the Old Testament. But it's interesting, because when we get to the New Testament, all of a sudden we start seeing the same model, the same process being used As people are elevating leadership within the church, Acts chapter 6, we read this As the believers rapidly multiplied, so they had just had 3,000 people added in one day, they are growing at an alarming rate, and we have a problem now. Grow too fast, bad things happen. The Greek-speaking believers complained that the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the church was called to take care of the widows, and the Greek speakers are saying, ours aren't getting the food that the Hebrew-speaking widows are. We need to, just, we need to rectify this. So the 12 apostles called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So the apostles say, we have our role. We are to meet with God. We are the teachers. We have this role. We can't be doing everything. So, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, Philip, Procus, Nekinor, probably said that wrong, Timon, uh, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on. On them. So once again, we see these seven men set apart, the apostles as the spiritual leaders, lay hands on them, and now they are elevated, not to the level of the apostles. The apostles were always going to be the heads of the church, but they now have this position of authority to serve in the ministry that they would need to serve in, which was taking care of the widows, making sure that everybody was getting their fair share and everything else that they had to do. But they were, tra- at the moment of laying hands, there was this transferring of authority. There was this commissioning to take on the ministry that they were set apart to do. And then we read a couple more scripture. I went through really fast, but we got to keep moving. First um, Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecies spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. 2 Timothy 1.6, this I remind you, to fan in the flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. At the time that Paul is writing this, uh, Timothy is the lead pastor of the church in Ephesus. And before he took the position, the leadership, Paul and the elders laid their hands on him, giving him the authority not to supersede Paul because Paul was still the apostle over all these churches, but that he now had the authority, the ministry to lead the church, and to do what only he could do. He had the hands laid on him as affirmation by the elders, and as a transferring of authority from his spiritual father, um, Paul. And over and over again, I could have gone a lot longer with these, over and over again we see the laying on of hands directly connected to the commissioning and the empowerment of people to step into the ministry they're called to do and to and to walk with the authority that they've now been given and that is the overwhelming message of scripture this is this is when we lay hands when people are stepping out, and that's why we did it for the grads, because the grads are stepping out, they may not see life as ministry, but everything we do is an act of ministry, an act of worship to God, and so we commission them to step into this next chapter of life, to do it well, to do it in a God-honoring way, to to continue to grow in their relationship, to grow in their faith, which is why we give them the Bibles, which is why we continue to pray for them over the next couple of months and beyond, because we have put them into... A ministry, they may not even know what the ministry is yet, but we believe in them. And we want them to step into it with all the authority that God wants to pour out onto them. Now, is there any other times that laying on of hands is used throughout Scripture? Well, there is a couple other times. Um, there's this guy named Jesus. He tends to do it a couple times throughout the Gospels. I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, so there's Mark 10, 6 says Jesus took the children into his arms, placed his hands on their head, and blessed them. So Jesus lays his hands on children repeatedly throughout the Gospels, and he blesses them in that moment. And the other one, Mark 5, 23, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and lay your hands on her, heal her, so she can live. This is the second one, this is the most popular one that we probably relate laying on of hands, is Jesus laid hands on people to heal them. But outside the gospel account, and it's amazing, I went through Acts. I was like, there's got to be times. Nope. The the apostles kind of follow the prescription of laying on of hands to heal, but there's not a lot of record of it. And yet people are still getting healed. They're still praying for people. They're still seeing people get healed by the laying on of hands. Saul, when he lost his eyesight, got prayed for by Philip. Philip laid his hands on him his eyes opened up the scales fell off so he could see um, but overwhelming account on scripture is that we lay hands for commissioning into ministry and I started off by saying that laying on of hands has almost become one of these overused practices in the church like I said if you've been in church for a long time you've probably seen it at one time or another you've probably seen it a lot and what I have What I was realizing as I was praying and thinking about it is that we err to the second two. We follow Jesus' example, and we lay hands when we want to see people healed, and we lay hands when we see people blessed, but we probably don't lay hands on people enough when they're stepping into ministry. And I don't think it's a coincidence that our church has now run into a scenario, not our church particularly, but the Church of Canada has run into a leadership shortage. We have young leaders dropping off like flies. And I think it's because we're not commissioning them well enough. We're not taking this practice serious enough to give them the authority in order for them to thrive in the positions that they're being put in. Or, I would dare to say, I think we're taking this practice of laying on of hands too lightly. And I ask you, this is, this is the thought I want you to take home. When you come into some when you come up to somebody to pray for them and you put your hand on their shoulder or on their back or, or their head or wherever you're putting your hand on them to pray for them are you doing it just because it's something that you've always done or are you actually believing that in this moment so if you're praying for healing are you actually doing it in that moment believing that healing could happen when you Pray for somebody and you want to bless them. Do you actually believe that God is going to pour out His blessing on this person in that moment? And even, and this is even a challenge for me as pastor and as the spiritual leadership, when we lay our hands on our grads, when we lay our hands on our on our ministry leads, do we actually believe that in that moment there is authority being placed on that person so they can do what they've been called to do with all the authority and all the confidence they need to do it? Or are we just doing it because it's something we've always done? And this is an important question for us to ask because the author of Hebrews talking to the believers is saying, of these things, fundamental truths that we need to be confident in and walk assuredly in this is one of the six this is one of the big ones that we do not take this lightly that we understand the magnitude of what is happening in this moment when we choose to take our hands and put them on somebody and see a result of some kind Do we actually believe that what we are praying for in that moment, whether it's blessing, healing, or commissioning, do we actually believe that it is happening, or are we just simply going through the motions? My challenge for us as believers, and it's not just laying on of hands, I think we could talk, we could bring up a lot of different things we do as a church, is that we gotta stop going through the motions. We gotta stop doing things just because we've always done it, but to actually fully understand the magnitude of what we're doing and the implications and that this is not something we take lightly the same way we approach prayer when we gather for prayer are we just praying because pastor matt told you to or do we come into these moments believing and expecting the god of the universe that spoke all of creation into existence the god of the universe who raised the dead the god of the universe who does so many great and amazing things do we believe that in this moment he's going to do it again traumatic pause. Do we believe or are we just going through the motions? Let's pray. Get the worship team to come on up. I invite everyone to bow your heads. going to take it a step further, not just for the person who's praying, but for the person who's being prayed for. Do you believe that when someone prays for you and puts their hands on you, do you believe that you could be healed in that moment? Do you believe that you you're receiving authority? Do you believe that God is going to bless you? It's both and. It's not just the faith of the one. It's the faith of the both. Do you believe? Father, I think of the the father who the father who brings a son who's struggling with epilepsy and is wanting Jesus to heal him. And he says, if you can. And Jesus says, if. The father says, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And God, I pray that for all of us that you would help us with our unbelief. God, that you would make us more aware of the moments that we're having. That we we'd would be more aware of of the situations you're putting us in, that we would take this whole idea of laying on of hands more seriously. God, that we would come into it believing great and amazing things are going to happen, both as the prayer and as the one being prayed for. God, stir us. Stir us, God, to see the things you've called us to do with the magnitude you place on them, that we do not take these things lightly, but that we walk in the authority and the assurance and the knowledge of everything you've called us to. God, I pray that we would be a church who commissions people well. I pray, God, that we would be a church that sends people into their ministries well. Spirit, speak to us. Give you all our praise and thanks in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.